we need to focus on the core value proposition and the core problem that we are solving is serving and providing royalty free music now how you give that music and what functionalities you build on top of it that is basically what the iterative customer development was helping us develop so that's how we prioritized our features and so uh, in terms of shift in the product adding previews giving instrument controls having subsections giving like the users the ability to have multiple moods inside the same song you know all of these kind of features is what we kind of discovered and we brought it onto the tool and Parallelly, we also kind of understood that a lot of our users look for royalty-free music online on Google search. Like they would just type like royalty-free music for background music for videos, things like that. So we started parallelly working on our SEO strategy as well because we knew that this would be one of the biggest organic acquisition channels for the company like this. All right, welcome to today's VidTal podcast. Today we have Mr. Mansoor Khan. Mansoor is co-founder and CEO of Beethoven.ai. That's B-E-A-T-O-E-E-N.ai. So Beethoven is an AI music generation tool. So you can make amazing music, royalty-free music with the moods that you want and the sequence that you want for your videos with just a few clicks, just a few seconds. It's an unbelievable tool. They've experienced insane growth over the last few months and projections have them hitting a million users in the next six months, which is unbelievable. What's really neat is Mansoor comes from a long family tradition of musicians in India. So seven generations of master musicians. And uh, he's also a musician growing up and then got really into machine learning and data science and combined those two passions to create this Beethoven. So again, an unbelievable AI music creation tool is going to talk about his journey on the product development side and also on the marketing side. So the early things he did to get users that did not scale, but how that has led to really unbelievable growth since then. So really excited to share this conversation with you and hope you enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by VidTao.com. VidTao is our free YouTube ad library and spy tool, research tool. It's V-I-D-T-A-O.com. At VidTao, we have close to a million unlisted YouTube video ads that you can search, find, discover how they're doing on a day-by-day basis. So you can really see what ads your competitors are running, see ads in different markets that you can model to create new winning ads for yourself, and a whole lot more. It's all there inside vidtau.com. Plus, we have a premium edition. So the database is free to access, but then we also have a premium edition where you have full unlimited access to the database. And inside there, we also provide training. So We also run an agency called Inceptly, that's I-N-C-E-P-T-L-Y, Inceptly.com, where we've managed over $150 million on YouTube. It's a video traffic agency, and we've worked with everyone from brands like Descript.com, Huel, to real scrappy direct response, info products, supplements, health, beauty, e-commerce, you name it, we've done it and love sharing what we've learned. Every week we drop new training in there, everything from YouTube ad media buying to running e-commerce creatives on YouTube to hardcore tracking and attribution tutorials to really level up your data science game for advertising and everything in between. Right now, as we speak, we're working on a training regarding YouTube shorts. Um, Hopefully we'll be live by the time you hear this on and on and on this is our passion is video advertising and we want to share it with you inside of vidtal premium and actually right now for a limited time you can get access to vidtal premium for a very special price so if you go to vidtal.com sign up for free check out the database upgrade to premium for this very special price you'll get access to all of the database and all the trainings 
And also wanted to add that at Inceptly, we do free brainstorm calls with clients like you. So if you ever want to get help or ask questions about your YouTube ads, your video traffic on other platforms, we're available to chat. Just go to inceptly.com slash call, C-A-L-L, and set up a time to chat. It's free and we'd love to speak with you. Our team is waiting to speak with you. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Mansoor, well, thanks so much. Welcome to uh, Vital Podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. So, Beethoven.ai. So, how did you come up with this idea of making AI music? Okay, that's an interesting question. Um, So, we never actually came up with an idea of making AI music. We were actually looking for a very interesting problem to solve uh, in the content creation workspace. Uh, so what we basically found out is uh, there is this massive problem that uh, most people who create videos, podcasts, and uh, various forms of content on the internet, uh, they are caught up with licensing and copyright infringement issues uh, when they end up using commercial music in the background of their content. Uh, as a result of which, they lose out on potential monetization opportunities through their content. And uh, it's, it's just a bit of a mess also because of lack of awareness. Uh, from the content creator side. So with, uh, so we decided to address this gap in the industry, um, which is currently being solved by stock music libraries. Uh, and the way how we thought about this uh, space is, why not build a system where these content creators could make soundtracks themselves by giving very high level preferences to this system in the form of moods, genres, tempo, duration, uh, and on the basis of those input parameters, uh, the artificial intelligence would compose an original soundtrack in real time. Uh, so that was the original thesis. Uh, and this thesis was basically validated. Well, we had seen a couple of startups in the past who had attempted to build something in this direction. So we spoke to the ex-founders. Our insights matched with their insights. We also spoke to a lot of customers, like 600, 700 YouTube content creators. Uh, but one of the things that we learned uh, while we were doing customer development is it's extremely ambitious to build a product in the space uh, for which generates music because ultimately you cannot, you will not pass on like bad quality music. Uh, it has to be good quality music at the same time also solve a problem uh, for the content creators. So yeah, so that's basically how this whole idea pioneered. You know, like that's how me and my co-founder we discovered okay that there is something to be built out in the space, and that's how Beethoven kind of took birth. Yeah, yeah, that's really neat. It's uh. So you, did you, so I noticed you went to, you went to Georgia Tech for a bit in studying machine learning for audio applications. Was, did you, was this, you were still in sort of the pro, the problem discovery phase at that point or what was, what was that like? Yeah. So, um, I, I wasn't working on the startup idea back then. I was a student and, uh, basically at that point in time, uh, I was just the dumb person in the room in Georgia Tech <laughs> because it's like uh, such a competitive, crazy place with all smart people around you. Uh, so, and that process, uh, it's actually a good place to be in because you end up learning a lot when you're in those kind of situations. Uh, so I was basically doing my master's in music technology at Georgia Tech. And uh, I was uh, working under this professor who kind of shaped, uh, you know, to some extent of how to think about technical problems and how to apply these technologies like machine learning, deep learning. And this was very early days, you know, like, uh, I mean, not the kind of hype that we have today. This is back in 2018, you know, and uh, I've been working in this space even before that. Uh, 
uh, and I've kind of seen the whole, uh, you know, how the entire wave has just shifted over the last couple of years. Uh, so yeah, with Georgia Tech, it was basically that. It was just amplifying those skills uh, and learning more and uh, just getting a more, better grip on this space of audio and machine learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's so neat how that, um, you know, this, your, I just looked at your, your, uh, your CV prior to that. And you're, so you're studying sort of perception of tone of sitar, the sitar instrument and yeah. doing machine learning, machine learning with that prior that's 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 super interesting. You've had this this sort of uh, this crossover of the data and the uh, I guess you know music is just math essentially, right? There's some element of that. There's very quantifiable components. Right. Yeah, that's that's really neat that that's that's been so ongoing yeah. for you. I mean, uh, so for, for me, basically, uh, like just to touch upon my background, I I come from a family of musicians, so. Uh, music has been in my family for seven generations. Wow. Uh, so so every generation there have been like some legendary stalwarts coming out of my family, you know, who have uh, been signed by some big record label, been performing across the world to concerts. And it's kind of continued to my dad's generation as well. And so we kids also kind of picked up music at home. Uh, now, naturally, when you come from a background like that and you get into tech, uh, automatically your brain kind of starts thinking, okay, how do I find a space where I can marry my two passions you know like i really like math and technology but i also like music uh so that that led me to the discovery of this very very niche space called music tech uh, which is i wouldn't say more than 1000 people in the world who actually work in this space uh but yeah like those are people who really like music and are also very passionate about technology only those two intersections when they meet that's when people get into this space uh, so it's super niche. Uh, very few companies, of course, you know the likes of companies like Spotify who do a lot of active research in this space. Uh, but yeah, it's a very, very small community of researchers that belong inside of this uh, space, essentially. Yeah. So that's basically how I, that, that sitar thing that you saw, right? Like it was basically because I used to play the sitar, I was very curious about the sound of the instrument as to what distinguishes this versus several other, indus- uh, other instruments that are out there. So uh, to get a deeper hold of that, that's when I decided, okay, let me take this up as a project and apply machine learning and analyze the sounds of Sita. Yeah. That's really neat. And so, you know, when it comes to what you mentioned with, with Beethoven.ai, so you have this ability to really provide uh, moods, right? How do you quantify moods when you're sort of providing these inputs? These, you're, uh, how are you with it? On it. Yeah, how do you how do you quantify a mood? You know, that's a great question. I would say it's a very subjective space. Honestly, uh, like what is sounds happy to somebody might sound depressing to someone, might sound angry to someone else. So it's it's extremely difficult to categorize moods accurately. But the way how we approach it is, we look at the music theory. We look at like okay, uh, we don't look at it as a machine learning or a mathematical problem, but we look at it as a okay, like from a from the science of how emotions play out in music, right? Like, what is it? Like, what kind of combination of notes represent uh, certain moods that are out there? And of course, it changes for different genres of music. Uh, so when we are look, looking at, let's say, Indian music, we dug down deep and understood the whole science of the association of notes with scales, with uh, emotions in Indian music. Similarly, for Western music, there are some publications done by uh, you know scholars and people who have written uh, compositions uh, in the Western music space, uh, having clear-cut definitions of 
what mood is representative of what scale or what key you know things like that so there are a lot of music rules out there uh, those act as good starting points i would say uh, you know you can like uh, utilize them to begin somewhere but they are not obviously like the most accurate representation because again it's subjective so the way how we are looking at this problem is internally we have started something called as uh, feedback for the ai so uh based let's say i generate a song i could listen to it and then i could basically tell the system that hey this doesn't sound happy this sounds sad and let's say many people kind of say something to the sonic preferences of what the ai is generating you know like to saying like oh this doesn't sound happy this sound so automatically the system kind of evolves and then you know it represents the mood better so something more of like a recommendation game uh for the users based on their preferences uh, that's the route forward for us in terms of mood representation but as of today it's pretty static it's on the basis of what the theory kind of defines okay this is what the mood should look like or feel like or here like yeah interesting would you say that so just comparing for instance western music and music from india is there are there any quantifiable differences on what constitutes a happy mood let's say or is it kind of is it a cultural thing or a human thing i'm just curious Yeah so my co-founder had done an interesting research on this actually uh, when he was in college back in his and this is exactly what he had also told me is like culture is a big impact uh, when it comes to uh, interpreting different uh, forms like somebody who would interpret indian music from europe versus somebody interpreting indian music from india would would very differently feel it because that's the kind of uh emotion that you grew up in right uh, so it, it's it's pretty interesting so but yes in terms of uh defining the unit of what would go inside composing an indian song versus going composing a western music song the theory is kind of different uh you know so the uh like an indian like our indian genre uses indian classical music so indian classical music has its own theory in terms of uh what uh, scales it present happy sad uh, inspirational versus the way how western music kind of approaches it there are interestingly quite a lot of intersections but of course they have their own approaches as well so there is there are some stark differences in the two yeah very interesting that's really cool um so what was the what did the first iteration of beethoven look like like what was the what was the interface like like what was the ugly the ugly first draft <laughs> really curious about that a uh, great question uh it was so basically it was just me and my co-founder the first four months of uh, a conceptualization of beethoven um it was basically a very very scrappy product uh, which had uh, but it still had like some feel of what it looks like today you know it it yeah. did have like uh, some aspects uh, in terms of the, so the visual obviously was not very strong but the mm-hmm. but the composition system was still pretty decent uh, so people could still give like very simple input parameters like duration mood tempo Uh, and of course it was very restricted it was a minimum viable product with just five modes and five then uh, three genres maybe uh, and uh, yeah i think the output was good it was a very slow system uh, it was extremely slow in terms of how much time it would take to generate a track i think it would take around one and a half to two minutes to make one track from there today we have been able to bring it down to five tracks under 10 seconds so wow. that, that's an optimization problem but yeah, yeah like uh, the first version if i have to answer that is what it felt like Uh, i think our investors also when they invested in the product they they took a bet on the technology you know like if you look at uh, what it was doing in terms of compressing a whole process of creating a track which typically takes 5 to 7 days if you had to do it uh, in an indie way 
bringing it down to under two minutes. That is basically what the promise was of the technology. Yeah. Wow. Then how was it? What was it like getting your first users, getting them on that, that initial version of the product? Yeah, getting first users is always hard. Uh, the, so we took a very interesting approach of how to get our users. So what we did is uh, we would use Clubhouse a lot. So Clubhouse at that point in time was pretty huge. Uh, the, it was like going through a viral wave. And so when I joined Clubhouse and I would join these communities where these content creators would hang out. Uh, so I would just listen to them and like, you know, what are they, what are the kind of tools they use? What is it that they do today to create content? How do they distribute their content? You know, just understanding the whole ecosystem and uh, keeping the music lens aside. Uh, but then I would also pitch into those conversations and ask them like, you know, how do you go about getting your music today? And, you know, what is it that you guys do? Uh, what is it that you do? you like original music or do you just want to use trending music that's already there on the internet? You know, what's it in terms of preferences? So people would get curious and they would be like, okay, hey, you know, why are you asking so many questions about music? So <laughs> so then then they would like DM on Instagram uh, with their email IDs. And that's how I kind of, kind of got my first 1,000, uh, you know, uh, users. Uh, it was just purely like things that don't scale, right? Like you just go to them and you tell them, hey, you know, this is what I'm building. Like, I would love to hear some feedback from you guys. Uh, it's a hard path, but yeah, it definitely helps because that initial 1,000, 10,000 users feedback is what kind of shapes, uh, you know, your first polished version of your product. Uh, so yeah, that's basically how we went about it here. Yeah. That's that's interesting. And then what, at what point did you, what, were the, what was the biggest shift in terms of, what did you invest the most time, money, energy, brain power in? What was the first big sort of uh, user-directed shift that you made based on that feedback? How did that help shape the next version of Vito? Yeah, so uh, there were a lot of interesting insights that came from our initial conversations. Uh, so our users would say things like, hey, you know, uh, I would like to, so so initially the moods that you see on the tool, they were just like images. They didn't have any audio waveforms or anything in it. So our users should be like, hey, you know, the mood is good, but can I preview what this mood could potentially solve me? Uh, so that was one interesting insight that came from most conversations. Then there was another insight where people would say like, hey, uh, you know what, uh, video is not static. It kind of changes with time. Uh, like after 15, 20 seconds, we want that mood to transition into something else. Like it could be, happy or it could go from happy to depressing or depressing to inspirational can is that functionality possible inside of this ai so the expectations were huge i have to be very frank like just because of the fact that we were building an ai tool everybody thought like anything is possible like you know i i could just do anything with the system and it would just do the way how i wanted to uh, that has been kind of a challenge but then of course like uh, from, as product managers what we have done is we have taken feedback that is ultimately essential that also helps uh, because ultimately the, we need to focus on the core value proposition and the core problem that we are solving is serving and providing royalty-free music. Now, how you give that music and what functionalities you build on top of it, that is basically what the iterative customer development was helping us develop. Uh, so that's how we prioritized our features. And so uh, in terms of shift in the product, uh, adding previews, giving instrument controls, having subsections, giving like uh, the users the ability to have multiple moods inside the same song. Uh, you know, all of these kind of features is what we kind of discovered uh, and uh, we brought it onto the tool. Yeah. Um, Got it. And, and parallelly, we also kind of understood that a lot of our users look for uh, royalty-free music online on Google search. Like they would just type like royalty-free music for background videos, background music for videos, things like that. 
so we started parallelly working on SEO strategy as well. You know, like back from them because we knew that this would be one of the biggest organic acquisition channels for the company like this eventually. Yeah. Nice. So is that your strongest cold cold acquisition channel currently? Is the SEO stuff? I, I, as of today, yes. Uh, I would say forty percent of our users come from SEO. So nice. Yeah. Yeah, so you have a lot of you have a lot of very specific blog blog content. Looks like you're very well optimized for, for picking up. Yeah, I mean blogs are just experiments. I would say like some of them work really well, but it's also well researched based on what users are looking for. And also, you know, these keywords is something that they don't stay static forever. Like there are shifts in consumer behaviors that happen, and then suddenly people start searching for things that you would never even anticipate. Like. Uh, people look nowadays for AI music generator free. I mean, like, you know, that's such a new keyword. Uh, nobody would have thought about it in 2019 or 2018 that uh, people would look for AI music online. Uh, you know, so it's interesting. That's why you need to keep evolving your content strategy. It cannot be uh, what you had probably thought of two years back is not relevant today, you know, like, so you have to keep evolving on that for sure. Yeah. How do you how do you stay on top of the things that your potential customers are looking for and how do you stay top of mind? Um, I think uh, one advantage that Beethoven has gotten uh, being ahead of the curve, because like I said, we started building this two years back and the wave of AI just came like six months back after ChatGPT. Yeah. Uh, well, ChatGPT in January obviously brought a big wave, but even before that, the likes of Jasper and Midjourney, Stability, all these guys were pretty around and they were pretty popular, right? So the sudden wave of adoption came in. Um, and as a result of it, people started looking for, okay, what about the AI music uh, equivalents of this, right? Uh, and we were rightly positioned there at the right time, you know, because uh, people are looking for it and we are already present, uh, you know, in terms of usage. So that has been kind of like a first mover early advantage that we have gotten in this new trend where people are organically discovering us. Uh, but how do we keep ourselves on top of the mind of our users? So there are a couple of things that we do. Uh, we uh, definitely keep studying competitors pretty uh, seriously, like we use uh, tools like SEMrush, we use, uh, you know, uh, Google uh, Alerts and Google Search Console. We use also like all of this uh, Google Trends to see like what people are looking for right now. And accordingly, we keep curating our strategy, you know, on the basis of what uh, what users are looking for. Uh, so, yeah, um, so getting top of the mind awareness also is a factor of giving giving them the best product experience. Because uh, once your initial, let's say, 10,000 users like what you're building, they would take the word of mouth distribution to another 50,000 users, you know? So I think that's also a very important aspect. And that is kind of, we try to bake it into the experience as well as a product, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that you have this, this, uh, this uh, you know, tagging, you tag at beethoven.ai, right. you get the 20 minutes of download for the free account, et cetera. So right. you have these sort of like, Hook somewhat and yeah. loops you know which we have kind of built by design so that people keep discovering us it's a continuous pipeline yeah what what's what have been your challenges when it comes to pricing the products just curious um, about that journey yeah that's a great question um so the way how we priced our product initially was on the basis of competition study uh, we had looked at okay how much do the stock music libraries charge today and is it something obviously the fact that they're charging at that price point uh, people are willing to pay at that price point so it's as simple as that um, but then eventually we started seeing that there was some crazy VC funding activity that was happening in the entire stock music market. As a result of which, these companies slashed their prices by one third. Uh, you know, like uh, what company was charging $20 a month went down to $8 a month. So 
uh, I think the strategy was to acquire as many users uh, as there are out there uh, at a cheaper price point. Uh, so that's basically what they did. Uh, so for us as well, what we do is we keep studying the pricing then accordingly. Like, okay, uh, we don't want to undercut the competitors. We don't want to be too expensive. We But we would uh, essentially provide something much better in terms of experience uh, in comparison to the competitor and uh, keep a price that is appropriate at a point where people would pay. You know, like it can't be out of the budget of the of the consumers or the, uh, the content creators who are using it. Uh, so in terms of targeting, we look at people or content creators who are monetizing, uh, who are already making money so that they would have the ability to purchase a subscription. Um, and uh, of course, based on geography, our prices also change. I mean, like if it's... Uh, a user that we're targeting from the Western market should be slightly more premium in comparison to how much we would be charging inside of India because obviously the purchasing power and price parity and all of those aspects come into the picture, you know, while you're pricing your customers. Yeah. Got it. So what do you see as, what are your, I know you're, so right now you're calling, you're calling from the heart of the, the tech world there in San Francisco. So what, yeah. what do you, what, what's, what's big on your agenda for 2023, Redovan? Yeah, I think one of our goals is to get to 1 million users. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are, we currently are, as of where we stand right now, we are at 150,000. Nice. And of which 120,000 users have just come in the last two months. So, wow. Uh, so uh, I think, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think Crazy. probably our uh, hockey stick uh, journey probably might have started. That's uh, amazing. Uh, but yes, uh, and the best part is all of these users are coming organic. We don't do any sort of marketing right now, like, you know, paid marketing or anything. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like, SEO is one, then word of mouth, then social media, all of these PR, you know, all these magazines keep writing about us. So that's where our users are coming from. And in terms of goals, yeah, I think we want to get to 1 million users. Uh, and of course, retention is one of the most important thing that we want to focus on this year. Um, because acquiring users and not retaining them is the worst that we could do uh, to our product. Uh, so I think that's what we are going to focus on. Monetization is not a very big aspect for us right now. Uh, our main focus is we want users to use this and get benefit out of the product. Yeah, That's fantastic. So so um, are you get okay, 1 million users? And so, you know, you're a data, you're a data guy. So what's your, given the, like, it looks like the hockey stick started, like you said, when's, when are you going to hit a million users, do you think? I think uh, if we do some slight push to our already organic uh, discovery that's going on, we should be able to get there in six months. That's amazing. Yeah. That's unbelievable. So basically, in less than a year, right. it, yeah, go from, you know, that's, that's insane. That's, that's crazy. That's, that's awesome. Um, so how could people get started? So where can people go to try out Beethoven for themselves and really yeah. keep, give it a, give it a whirl? Yeah, pretty straightforward. Uh, it's a web application, so you don't have to download anything. Uh, you just have to go to our website, uh, www.beethoven.ai. It's B-E-A-T-O-V-E-N.ai. Uh, and you just can directly get started for free of charge. Uh, we have a freemium which gives 15 minutes of monthly downloads. Uh, so you could be a free user forever, uh, but of course be restricted by that duration of download at 15 minutes. Or you could pay a subscription and have a wider download uh, duration. Uh, yes, and as soon as you sign up, uh, you can just sign in with your Google. You could just maybe create an account and uh, create your first track. And within five to 10 minutes, you should be able to hear some music inside of Beethoven. Yeah. That's amazing. That's 
and if you do like the music and let's say you're somebody who's a serious content creator you could just hit download and when you hit download you get an automatic email that comes to your inbox with the license to use the music so it's like a seamless experience completely yeah that's unbelievable and then you can just add it to your video put it out on yeah. your your social media and yeah, you don't not worry about, about anything anything yeah so you're not going to get flagged by youtube for no. using copyrighted content as of today we have like of all the users that we have used uh beethoven we haven't got in a single copyright claim as of it, as of it so that's that's that, a lot yeah you think that in the future there will be how is that going to work for um i guess will there be a time when a specific ai engine can actually stamp something with a with a, with a license like is there going to be a time when an ai artist literally an ai artist will be able to claim royalties off the model let's say is that mm -hmm. a potentiality you think or is it just curious how you um, think things see things going that, there the, that's a great question actually um uh, i mean it depends on the law as well right like uh, if the law allows it then i guess anything is possible but i don't think as of where we stand today uh, so just to give you some context like uh, considering we come from india right like so if you look at the indian copyright law uh, what it says is any form of ai generated content uh, uh it, it the copyright belongs to the programmer of that ai uh, so uh -huh. technically the company uh, that has created the the ai uh -huh. but if you look at the us copyright law i think recently they flagged down and they struck down a art piece that was claiming for copyright uh, ownership on image generators i don't think there has been much in terms of music generators yes to see, we are yet to look at that space uh, so yeah i think uh, if that happens let's assume that an ai is able to own copyrights through the music that it's generating then of course it could even start claiming royalties it could distribute music to spotify and it could do all of the stuff that an artist does uh, but it's interesting right like uh, but that would also mean that that people don't really uh, i mean i i don't personally believe that that could happen because people don't listen to music uh just uh, just for the music they listen to it for the artist they listen to it for the fan fandom and you know a lo lot of aspects they study the story of the artist and of course the style of the artist so ca can an ai replicate all of that if if that's true then yes maybe <laughs> then I, i think that's a real possibility but i don't see that happening anytime soon yeah so could you conceivably fine tune a, an ai music production model let's say with all of my favorite musicians and bands um and then have it produce something completely original from that that would somehow be uniquely um, attractive to my ear is right. that is that feasible it is feasible and i think if you look at the recent model that google built right the text to music uh, that was a demonstration of something like that of course they didn't release it commercially because of obviously copyright issues but uh, yeah i think that's a real possibility it's ultimately a data game right like if you have all the data in the world of all the music that has been historically released and you train it on one huge model and basically then inferent give give it text prompts to the model like hey i want to have a song in the style of avicii combined with let's say 90s bands you know like something like that and and it actually accurately just gives out something which is very similar to what you were thinking i think that's it that's game over basically it's uh, you will have solved the problem of uh, accurately finding music you know for whatever task you needed for yeah that's amazing is uh last last question it is basically so um you know like sentence embeddings where you know you're quantifying the meaning of a word or a sentence uh, mathematically is there something similar for music 
Um, yeah, I mean, one thing similar about text and music is both of them are sequential data, right? Uh, I mean, they are time series. Uh, they they have a. But what's interesting about music is it's also two dimensional. It's not just uh, sequential horizontally, but it's also has meaning vertically, right? Like the way how things are arranged. Like there's a bass line, there's a drum, there's a synth line. You know, all of that. Like so, multiple layers. Uh, so there, there the similarity kind of gets broken. So it's much more complex when it comes to music uh, to accurately arrange instruments and also have them sound good and also have them not, you know, have dissonance amongst themselves and make meaning out of it. Uh, so yeah, I think that's where the stark difference comes between text and music. Yeah. Uh, well, kudos to you. You've been able to crack the code on that, and and clearly your your user count is definitely indicating that you're you're achieving some resonance. Yeah. So once we're really thank you so much for being on the show. And again, so if people want to tr- try out uh beat oven, sorry, Beethoven for free. I keep saying beat oven because that's how I mind it sees it. But uh beat Beethoven AI for free, they can go to B-E-A-T-O-V-N dot AI. And I know our team, we deal with a lot of we do a lot of video, we we buy a lot of uh royalty-free music from other sites. And I know we're going to be trying this out and really looking forward to that. So definitely highly recommend everyone else do the same. Thank you so much, uh, Ian. And feel free to write to me if you, anything that you, I mean, this is for all the users as well. Like if you guys want to give us feedback to Beethoven, like please write to us at hello at Beethoven.ai. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Monster, what? And do your time out in San Francisco. Good luck and we'll be in touch. Yeah, we will. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of VidTal Podcast. Again, my name is Ian Naj, co-founder of VidTal, and really appreciate you having a listen. And it means a lot. So if you have any feedback, go ahead and email us at info at Love to hear your ideas for future shows, future guests. If you want to be a guest, let us know. Love to chat. Also, just as a reminder, this show has been sponsored by VidTal, which is our free YouTube ad library, vidtao.com. Again, you can go to vidtao and look up over a million ads at this point inside of vidtao. They're all unlisted YouTube ads. You can see what your competitors are running, track the results on a day-by-day basis, find new ads inside of our YouTube ad library, vidtao. And we also have a premium edition of vidtao. So the library is free to access, but for full unlimited access to the library, we have a premium edition of vidtao. We also have training from our Inseply.com agency, which is our sister company, DaVidTal, where we've managed over $150 million on YouTube. We provide training on media buying, creatives, tracking, copywriting, everything in between. It's all there inside of VidTal Premium. And right now we're running a very special deal on VidTal Premium. And you can go claim that right now at VidTal.com. When you sign up for free, you'll see the offer to join Premium and go there and check that out. And last thing, we also do uh, free brainstorm calls with our agency, Inseply. Go to inseply.com slash call. And we love brainstorming with you on your video advertising and just marketing in general. Love to chat. So inseply.com slash call, C-A-L-L. Would love to speak with you. So thanks again for joining us and looking forward to the next show. In the meantime, have a great week.